0: Well, good morning. I don't even know how to follow that, <laughs> so I'm just gonna go into the sermon. But man, my heart is so full already. Uh, does anybody in here love to celebrate? One of the most memorable celebrations that I uh, have attended was a 65th wedding anniversary party for my wife's grandparents a number of years ago. Um, my father-in-law got to thinking about how one of the only times that families get together is at funerals, and he talked about how that's kind of sad, and it's just unfortunate because the person isn't there to enjoy everybody's uh, presence, and so he got to thinking about that and decided to throw a giant party for his parents for their 65th anniversary, and um, they rented a huge banquet hall right here in Cyprus, catered a bunch of food, hired a company to bring in uh, games with dealers, like almost like casino-style thing, and uh, even hired a professional magician because his dad was really into magic and, and appreciated that. And probably the most uh, special part of the whole party was when each one of their grandkids got up and gave a tribute to their grandparents. Um. It probably goes without saying, but 65 years of marriage is more than enough of a reason to celebrate. And so we had a really good time celebrating them and God's faithfulness to them that day. But I share that with you because I want to talk today about celebrating, and and we all love to celebrate, but unfortunately, um, celebration is often the exception rather than the norm in our lives. Most of our lives are filled with just normal humdrum, everyday stuff, work, school, family, getting things done. And on top of that, even if we, we uh, wanted to celebrate every day, when life is hard and it drags us down and beats us up, we don't really feel like celebrating many times. But I want to pose a question. Wouldn't it be great if celebrating wasn't something that we did just at special events? Or think about it, even Sunday, we we celebrate when we gather. Wouldn't it be great if it wasn't something that we just did as an event every now and then, but it became a way of life for us? What if there was a way to celebrate through anything all the time? Because I, I believe celebrating doesn't have to be an event. It can be an attitude. It can be an approach to life. And the good news is that I believe every single one of us can live a life of celebration. But here's the catch. To live a celebratory life, that's not automatic. It's not something that we stumble upon. If we wanna live a life of celebration, we have to cultivate that kind of life. It's something that we have to be diligent to pursue. So how, how do we do that? How do we cultivate a life of celebration? celebration. That's the question I want to talk about today. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to this morning, chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 47 this morning. Nehemiah 12, 27 through 47. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is Jeremiah Meadows. I have the honor of serving as the community groups pastor here at Bayou City in Cyprus. And uh, it's such a joy to be a part of, of this church. It's been such a blessing for me and my family now for the past year and a half, going on two years. But if you uh, haven't been here in a couple weeks, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Nehemiah. It's the story of how the Jews returned to Jerusalem upon captivity in Babylon and rebuilt the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. And last week, Matt covered chapter 10, where the people signed a covenant and took an oath to keep God's law. And in chapter 11, Nehemiah lists all the leaders who were chosen to live in Jerusalem. And I'm not uh, as audacious as Matt, so I'm not going to read all those names. He did an awesome job last week. And then in the first half of chapter 12, after listing all these leaders who had moved to Jerusalem, he lists all of the priests and the Levites by name. And we're going to pick it up in verse 27, and this is the part where they dedicate the wall to God. In this section, they dedicate the wall. And as we read these verses, I believe we'll find um, some guidance in how we can cultivate a life of celebration. So before we read, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful to be in this place today together, together. what a privilege and, and an honor it is to worship you so freely, and to do that with one another as brothers and sisters. And you stir our hearts. You encourage us as we gather. And and being in your presence is what makes all the difference. So we're grateful that you've already proven that you're here this morning, and we ask that you would continue to be in this place. That you would guide our time as we open your scriptures. That you would um, that you would give me your words. Today, that your spirit would have his way. And so we, we look to you. We ask that you would speak to our hearts in the next few moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to work through this passage uh, a little bit at a time. We'll read a few verses, stop and discuss those and read some more. So let's look at verses 27 through 30. We read this. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Natophethites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem and the priest and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So in, in these verses, we find that the Israelites are preparing to celebrate this dedication of the wall. And in verse 27, we read of how they, they brought the Levites back to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, it says. So they were preparing to celebrate. It wasn't something that that was happening just haphazardly. There was a purpose to it. And they gathered these Levites, these worship leaders. That's what a Levite was. Essentially, they were assistants to the priest in worshiping at the temple so that they could make preparations and lead the way. And the second thing that stands out to me is that they, they did this gathering collectively. Verses 28 and 29 tells us that, the, the priests, the Levites, and singers gathered from all the surrounding area, areas, from the different villages and the different regions. They united as one collective group to celebrate. And then in verse 30, he says, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. What's going on in this verse? They are pursuing personal holiness. That's what's happening. They are consecrating themselves. They are setting themselves apart for God. They know, as the scriptures teach, that God is holy and that those who worship him must have clean hands and pure hearts. And so they are pursuing personal holiness by purifying themselves. Now, what did this purification entail? It likely included things like fasting, Abstaining from sexual relations, even for married couples, ceremonial washing as prescribed in the law, changing their clothes even, and making sacrifices. But what I want us to to see in these verses is that the Israelites prepared to celebrate by collectively pursuing personal holiness, personal holiness, and if you and I want to be the kind of people who live lives of celebration, if we wanna cultivate those lives of celebration, we need to collectively pursue personal holiness. And you may be thinking, uh, we're not under the law anymore. We don't have to follow the same, uh, you know, jot and tittle of every, everything that we see in the Old Testament. So what does this have to do with us? Well, as Matt taught last week, As followers of Jesus, we are under a new covenant. It's a different covenant. It's a better covenant. Instead of having to make sacrifices for our own sins on a continual basis, we rest in Christ's final sacrifice. Amen? However, even though we're under the new covenant, we must purify ourselves like Israel did. Now, our purity comes from Christ ultimately, but we are called to regularly repent of our sins and to turn from them and turn back to God. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, I think this is a really helpful text of, of understanding how this still applies to us. John writes this. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And here's, here's the, the line I want to pay attention to. All who have this hope, so this is people who have already placed their faith in Christ, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So we purify ourselves because Jesus is pure. He taught us that in order to worship him in ways that is pleasing, we have to be holy as he is holy. You know, there's, there's a verse that even says we should be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. So we're to pursue that type of lifestyle. And if we're gonna be people who cultivate a life of celebration, we have to collectively pursue personal holiness. And I use the word collectively because that's something that we do together. We all pursue it personally, but we also pursue it collectively. That's why we gather as a church. That's why we have things like community groups and children's ministry and student ministry, because we believe that if we're going to pursue holiness, we need people beside us, encouraging us, admonishing us, and so forth. So let's look at verses 31 through 42 to see what else they did at this dedication. Says, then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshehiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melali, Gilali, Ma'ai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall, above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshanah and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests Eliakim, Masai, Meniamon, Micaiah, Elionai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Masai, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malchija, Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang with Jezrehiah as their leader." I didn't escape the names. They're in there, aren't they? (laughs) Here's a little pro tip. If you ever have to read this in like a small group, just say it really fast. Nobody else really knows how to pronounce them either. But in the midst of all those names, there's a crazy scene happening here. Essentially, they put together two giant groups that I can only describe as a combination of a choir and a marching band all rolled into one. I'm thinking almost of like what you would picture at like a giant parade. And what's crazy is they climb up on top of the wall and go walking around the whole city. And if you remember back to chapter four, um, there was this time when the enemies of the Jews were gathered and they were taunting them while they were building. And Tobiah uh, accused them that their wall was so weak that if a fox jumped on top of it, it would crumble. And I reference that because what's kind of interesting here is it proves that he was wrong because there were hundreds, I it doesn't say how many people, but I'm guessing at least hundreds who were marching on top of the wall. Um, as I was preparing for this this morning, uh, one British archaeologist from the 50s named Kathleen Kenyon, um, when she did some excavations, she discovered that this wall was probably nine feet wide, nine feet thick. And so it makes sense that this could actually happen. At any rate, Nehemiah tells us that one of the choirs, marching bands, whatever we want to call them, went to the south and they went counterclockwise with Ezra leading the way. And the other group went to the north clockwise and Nehemiah was at the back of the line. But they were choirs, they were singing. And what were they singing about? Well, verse 31, Nehemiah says that the two great choirs gave thanks. And actually in the Hebrew, the word for the choir is actually thanksgiving. It's just one word. So that was their entire purpose was to give thanks as they marched and as they sang and as they played these instruments. In fact, in this chapter, the word thanks, thanksgiving, appears seven times and three of those are in this, these two paragraphs that we just read. So who were they thanking and what were they thankful for? The Israelites were thanking God, of course, though they began singing on top of the wall. If you, if you saw it in verse 40, their march or whatever you wanna call it, this parade culminated in the house of God in the temple area. So they marched on the wall and then went right into the temple courts. And the people recognized all that God had done through them. Though their city had previously lie in ruins, under Ezra they had rebuilt the temple, and then under Nehemiah they had rebuilt the wall. And as we've talked about throughout this this study, this is more than just a physical thing. This is a spiritual thing because now that they have safety, now that they have a wall protecting them in their city, they can not only return to commerce and just all the normal daily life stuff, they can worship in peace and in freedom. And so they were singing with thankful hearts for what God had done for them. And what we learn from that is if we wanna cultivate a life of celebration, if we wanna be people that have hearts that celebrate every day, we must sing with thankful hearts for what God has done for us. And we just did that. We did that this morning, but let's be people who do that every day. You know, we worship and serve the same God who did this for the people of Jerusalem and he is worthy of thanksgiving. He's worthy of thanksgiving. All throughout our lives, he has been faithful to us. And I don't know about you, but I think every now and then, and probably even regularly, a good thing that we can do is to, to stop and list and recount the ways that God has been faithful to us, big and small. And for me, one of the ways that I do that is I look back and I think about God's sovereign hand in my own life. And... Um, I don't know everybody in this room, so some of this, this might be uh, not news for some of you, but for others it probably is. But my story of, in a snapshot, I was three months old and I was adopted into a family, and not just in, into any family, I was adopted into a family with parents who loved the Lord dearly. At the time, my dad was actually pastoring a church in, uh, in a small town in Oklahoma, And he actually is still pastoring. He's preaching this morning at a church in Katy. And just this past fall, they celebrated 32 years in the same church. And just what a rich heritage that is. But but it's deeper than that. I can trace God's hand even further back in my own story because my dad was raised in a home where Christ was treasured. And my grandfather was also a pastor. My grandparents' lives actually were changed forever back in 1949, when they got saved at a Baptist tent revival in Longview, Texas, just over in East Texas. And I didn't plan to say this because I'm trying to keep my time short, but I have to tell this. So my grandmother goes with a friend to the tent revival. She has a full-blown conversion, gives her life to Christ, comes home and tells my, my grandfather uh, all about what happened, and he was mad. And so he said, I'm going with you to tomorrow, and I'm going to give this this preacher what he deserves. And then he gave his life to Jesus that very night <laughs> and surrendered to the ministry like almost immediately, I think. But God has done so much for me. I mean, so much, but it doesn't end there. I mean, just, I just think back to the past year, the past month, um, about six weeks ago, I wrecked my bike and, uh, and broke my collarbone. Thankfully, I didn't sustain any type of head injury. And in the aftermath, I don't even have time to tell you, but God has just faithfully provided and loved and taken care of my family. Through the broken pipes we've had, using our people from our very church, some of our Tomball people, some of the guys from there came and fixed my pipes. Just so many ways he's been so good. And, you know, gratitude is just such a key part to being people that don't let the weight of life get us down, don't let it interrupt our worship and our joy. And one of the things I try to do to instill gratitude in my own daughters is by leading them to list specific things that they're thankful for. If we're around the dinner table, what are you thankful for today? Even if they say the stuffed animal for the fifth day in a row, at least they're learning to be thankful for that. And I try to model it for them in our prayer times in the way on the way to school in the morning, just thanking God for simple things like, thank you for our food. Thank you for our house. But as people who live on this side of the cross, this side of the empty grave, we have even more to be thankful for. God sent Jesus to usher in this new covenant that we've been talking about, to die in our place for our sins so that we could be forgiven once and for all, so that we could be adopted not just forgiven, but adopted into his family as sons and daughters and live forever with him. There's never a day that we don't have a reason to sing because of the gospel. So we can cultivate a life of celebration if we will learn to sing with thankful hearts for what God has done for us. Let's look at verse 43. The end of this paragraph, we read this. And they offered great sacrifices that day. So after the choir makes their way into the temple courts and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So the reason they were celebrating is because they were filled with joy. And in that verse, we saw the the word joy or rejoice five times in one verse, five times. And and everyone in Jerusalem was rejoicing. The men, the women, the children, top to bottom, everybody. And it was so loud that the neighboring cities could hear. I mean, the only thing I can even think of that would kind of make me um, picture this kind of noise is when you're like outside of an open air stadium that's packed with fans and like somebody scores a touchdown or hits a home run and you hear everything erupt. I think that's what those neighboring cities could hear, something like that. But why was their joy so complete? Why was it so all-encompassing? The text tells us, it says right there in the second half of that verse, for God had made them rejoice. Their joy was a gift from God. They had received that joy from him. They rejoiced because God made them rejoice. And if we wanna cultivate a life of celebration, we must receive joy from God. One thing that that I think we need to continually hear because if you're like me, you don't always believe this is that God wants us to have joy. He is for us. He wants you, he wants me to have joy. He desires to give us joy, to make us a joyful people. And the great news is that joy is possible in any situation, under any circumstances because it's not sourced in us. It's not found in circumstances, but it's found in him and him alone as the giver of life god is the fountain of joy and he wants to share that joy with us he really does one of the things that struck me as i was thinking about this this week is that when paul lists the fruit of the spirit in galatians 5:22 and 23 what does he say he says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy it's the second thing listed And it's a fruit of the Spirit, which tells us that it's something the Spirit of God produces in us. It's not something we have to drum up, not something we have to uh, somehow force our way into. It's something that the Spirit will do and work in us. The question is, will we look to God for joy? Will we look in the right place? Will we believe that joy is found in knowing God in his presence in walking in his ways? One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 16, David writes this in the final verse. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So he's the source of joy. And we cultivate a life of celebration if we receive joy from God. And that's something we have to do again and again. Let's look at the last few verses in 44 through 47 So it says, On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priest and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priest and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for their singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. So Israel didn't just have this big celebration this dedication, what was it? The celebration didn't stop on this day. They didn't just go back to their old ways. They made some changes to the way that they lived and the way they worshipped that day. Verse forty-four says says that on that day, before they even went home, they began to appoint the right people to engage in the right things to worship in the way that God had prescribed in the law, so that they could they could obey Him, and motivated. To keep God's law, the people planned and purposed to continue walking in obedience. And this involved gathering tithes and offerings. It involved performing temple sacrifices along with singing. So worship wasn't just something that they did at a festival or at this dedication. Worship took on the form of obedience to God's law. Now, I don't want to be misleading. What we're going to find out next week in chapter 13 is that they fell flat on their face. (laughs) They didn't do so great, but they at least had the right intentions and they tried to do the right things. Thankfully, God was gracious with them. But one thing I want to point out here is that they, they, they purposed to obey and they did this gladly. Verse 44 says that Judah rejoiced, over the priests and Levites who ministered. They gladly obey, you know, lived in obedience to God. And if we want to cultivate a life of celebration, part of that is gladly living in obedience to God. He doesn't want us to just gather on Sundays to worship him. He isn't after our obligatory obedience here and there, he wants worship to be a lifestyle for us and something that we do gladly. Not something that we do because we have to do it, but because we want to, because we want to. In fact, Jesus tells us that his commands lead us into greater joy. In John fifteen four, a passage you're probably familiar with, he instructs us, abide in me. He tells us to abide in him, to remain in him. And then in verses nine through 11, he says this, abide in my love. If you, will keep, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And this is what I wanted you to, to hear. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So fullness of joy is found in Jesus in knowing him and obeying him, doing what he says. And that's the way that we experience the joy of the Lord in keeping his commandments. And so we can cultivate this life of celebration. We can can become men and women who truly delight and exult all throughout our lives if we will gladly live in obedience to God. Before I close, I wanted to share... um, something with you. One of my favorite things about being a part of a community group and one of the reasons why I'm thrilled to have this role where I get to pour my time and energy into our community groups is that in community groups, you get a front row seat to what God is doing in the lives of his people. Get a front row seat to that. And over the last uh, five to six months or so, one of the couples that we have the privilege of co-leading in our group with... um, they just can't catch a break. They couldn't catch a break over these months. Um, her father was in the hospital for, I, I believe it, it ended up being about four months and ended up passing away uh, in, I believe it was early February. And then just a couple weeks after that, when the, when the freeze happened, they had pipes burst all over their house where they're basically gonna have to remodel the majority of the home. And on top of that, her brother had, had to have an emergency surgery I mean, it's just like when it rains, it pours. They just went through the thick of it. But what has been amazing is is to watch them in spite of all of that, they've maintained this just steadiness and this steadfastness of worship. They've continued to live lives of celebration, not celebrating the horrible things, but celebrating God's faithfulness to them through the horrible things. And they haven't been happy in some fake plastic slap a smile on uh, kind of way. But they have continued walking with God. They have continued pursuing him and, and, and obeying him. And he has sustained them through all of that. They've, they've done all the things that we've talked about today. They've pursued holiness. They've sang with thankful hearts for all that God has done. Received joy from God. They've continued to live in obedience to him. And it's made all the difference for them and we've been encouraged and their, their witness to us has been powerful. So we may not be able to choose what life throws at us, but we can cultivate this life of celebration. We really can, regardless of what we go through. Jesus is more than enough and when we trust him and when we walk in his ways, we can celebrate through anything. I just wanna say, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your savior, today you can do that. In a moment, we're gonna have a time of prayer and we would love for you to come forward and somebody would be glad to pray with you about that. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling to celebrate. Right now, that's just not where your heart is. We'd love to pray for you as well. We'd love to come alongside you and give you the support that you need. Well, today we are celebrating communion, we are remembering that Jesus has done for us what we could never do. He fulfilled the law of God by perfectly obeying and trusting the Father. And having lived that perfect life, he laid his life down for us, shedding his spotless, pure blood on the cross in our place. And as we know, on the third day, he rose from the dead and he lives today as our high priest forever interceding for us. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in a moment, we're going to begin our our time of prayer. So our communion and our time of prayer are kind of gonna, gonna flow into one another. But I wanna encourage you, take this opportunity, take a few moments to think about Christ's sacrifice for you. And whenever you're ready, you can take the elements, you can eat the bread, you can drink the cup. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, the the pages of the scriptures, particularly this book of Nehemiah, and our own lives are testimony, the proof that we are sinners, that we are imperfect people who cannot keep your commandments perfectly. No matter how hard we try, we fail. We thank you that Jesus is everything that we aren't. We thank you for sending him to be our substitute. We thank you that he willingly went to the cross and laid down his life for us, for our sins. Thank you that he has brought us back to you and made a way for us to know you and worship you and to be with you forever. And as we meditate upon these things. And as we sing these songs, may our gratitude and may our worship, may our awe for him and what he's done increase. Fill us this morning with worship. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.